Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. and I are here today to introduce you to one of the great preachers of the past generation, Dr. Elizabeth Ochtemeyer. Uh, Dr. Ochtemeyer went home to be with the Lord in the year 2002, and the sermon we're going to hear today was preached right here at Beeson Divinity School in our chapel as a part of our preaching lectures, the William E. Conger Jr. Lectures on Biblical Preaching. But this is a sermon, not a lecture. So, Dr. Smith, uh, tell us what we're going to hear from Dr. Ochtemeyer. Dr. Ochtemeyer, Dean George, is going to provide us with a pictorial profile of what it means to build the church that the kingdom of God on earth ought to be patterned after the kingdom of God in heaven. And she takes an unfamiliar text, Zechariah chapter 2, and pairs it with a familiar text, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and lets them have conversation together. An apocalyptic text, Zechariah chapter 2, the measuring of um, the ruins uh, in the old Jerusalem and what uh, the city is to become in terms of the walls being built up with the building of the church on the foundation, Jesus Christ, the only foundation that the church can be built on in First Corinthians chapter 3. And so uh, to deal with uh, an unfamiliar text and to marry it to a familiar text makes a very interesting engagement, and yet she is consistent uh, in terms of the message being Christocentric, being redemptive, and encompassing the, the whole of Scripture, actually. Yeah, she bridges the Testaments beautifully in this sermon, yes. Zechariah to Paul, and then applies it to the life of the church today. Yes. You know, I remember Dr. Octomire so well. She had a great influence on me and so many other people in the life of the church. The two things I remember about her, I think most particularly, one was the great clarity with which she spoke. Uh, there, there are no wasted words in this sermon. There's no foolishness that goes on here. And, and yet there is uh, a compassion and a sincerity that comes through as she really exposes the Word of God. And then the other thing I remember about her is her fearlessness, her courage to speak even to controversial issues, but uh, with great passion, great integrity. And so she's one of my heroes of the faith, and I was so glad she could come and give these lectures and speak to us out of her heart on this occasion. Yeah, that The, the uh, emphases that she gives, all of them come right out of Scripture, all of them. Mm. It's a very polemic sermon. Mm-hmm. in that she's addressing ministers in terms of the motivation that they have for building the church of God, for doing the ministry that uh, they've been assigned. It has to, this practical to dimension Absolutely. that comes through. Absolutely. Yeah. She wants to make sure that we don't pattern ourselves after those who were building the Tower of Babel, yeah. uh, that it is to be done for the glory of God. It's very polemical. It's very catechetical in terms of understanding texts that we oftentimes uh, ignore. Not a lot of preaching comes yeah. out of Zechariah, yeah. uh, but she treats that in, in such a way that uh, it becomes the unfamiliar 
transferring to the terrain of the familiar, and we understand in the light of the the whole canon. And finally, when it comes to apologetics, she is defending orthodoxy, the truth, that there is no pluralistic acceptance here. She was a student of Karl Barth, yes. and, and that the Christocentrism and the biblical theology that that represents comes through in this sermon. Mm-hmm. So join us now as we hear Dr. Elizabeth Ochtemeyer preach a wonderful message to us from the prophecy of Zechariah. Our Old Testament lesson is taken from the prophecies of Zechariah, the second chapter beginning at the first verse. The historical setting of this is 519 B.C., The exiles have returned from Babylonia, but Jerusalem lies still in ruins. And at this time, the prophet Zechariah is given a series of eight visions, and this is the third vision. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its breadth and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run to that young man and say to him, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle in it. For I will be to her a wall of fire round about, says the Lord, and I will be the glory within her. And our New Testament lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the third chapter, beginning at the tenth verse. According to the commission of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each person take care how he builds upon it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each person's work will become manifest, (coughs) for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any person has built on the foundation he uh, survives, that person will receive a reward. If any person's work is burned up, they will suffer loss, though they themselves will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them, for God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. Let no one deceive themselves. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So let no one boast of human beings, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, occasions such as this one are, in some sense, a time for taking stock. A time for looking over our future ministries. And a time for looking over our church life and programs and for deciding once again what it is we are about. We sometimes go through that process with our church boards, of course. What are the needs of our congregations, we ask? What is it we are trying to do? And those are questions that we often try to get our people to ponder. What is it that we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, are called to be? What is it that we are about? Now, in answering those questions, let me stretch your imagination for just a moment. You are, in the Christian Church, a little advanced colony of heaven. You see, God has a kingdom in heaven, a kingdom of joy and righteousness and peace and goodness, which he wants to establish all over this globe. He wants his kingdom to come on earth even as it is in heaven. And you, in your congregation, are a little advanced colony sent by God to live the life of that kingdom in your present time and place. Like Captain John Smith, sent by the crown to claim the little town of James, Jamestown, for the rule of the British. You are Christians sent by God to claim your towns and villages and cities for the rule of God. You are God's beachhead on the shores of this present darkness. God's pioneers invading a wilderness of sin with the good news of the gospel. Or, in the metaphors of our scripture readings, you are those sent by God to be the beginnings of the city of God on earth. You are the forerunners of a new Zion, of a new Jerusalem, of a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. I see the church has always thought of itself that way, as the beginning of the new Jerusalem on Zion's hill. And so we sing it in that familiar hymn, O Zion, haste thy mission high fulfilling. And we take that as a command to the church. And as God's new Zion, we do indeed have a mission. You and I have been redeemed from our slavery to sin and death by the cross and resurrection of Christ. We have been set free to live the new life of his kingdom. And we have been given God's Spirit to guide us and to empower us in living out that life. But that is not an end in itself. We have a mission. A mission not only to be the beginning of God's new Jerusalem, but to build it up, to expand its city limits, to push it out into the countryside and to claim all those around us for the rule of God. And that brings us to our Old Testament text for the morning. For in that vision of the prophet Zechariah, we have a picture that could be a symbol of you or me. A young man sets out in the vision to plan the new Jerusalem. He takes his tape measure to mark out the dimensions of the new city of God in order to erect its walls. And do you know what he does? He plans the new Jerusalem by measuring the dimensions of the old. He takes his little yardstick and laboriously measures the outlines of the walls of that old city in Palestine founded by the Canaanites and Kings David and Solomon. 
And he is a good deal like us in that lack of imagination. Because heaven knows your denomination has been a force for good in this country and abroad. But there is always the temptation in such a situation to sit back and rest on our laurels. We grow tired of mission, you see. And so after a while, we just want to be content the way we are. What were our church membership figures last year, we ask? Well, let's just try to keep them up to that and not show a decline in numbers. After all, many denominations are slipping in membership, so let's just try not to add to that. Or again, we say that our congregation has always been made up pretty much of people like ourselves. Well, let's just keep it that way and not worry about bringing in other kinds of people. They probably wouldn't feel comfortable in our fellowship anyway. Build up the New Jerusalem, yes, build up the Church of Christ, but build it only according to the measurements of the old Jerusalem that we have always known. Such an attitude is, however, according to our text, not sufficient for God. For in Zechariah's vision, an angel is sent after that young man with the tape measure, and the angel tells him, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude in it. In other words, the church is to have no human limits on it, no membership roles with which we are ever satisfied, no walls of class or custom or race which shut out anyone from our fellowship. No dimensions of self-satisfaction that make us content as we are. There are hundreds of people out there, people whom your congregation knows, with whom they work every day, or whom they entertain, or who live not a mile from your church, who desperately need to hear the good news of Christ. And they will come if your people will speak to them of their faith and befriend them with the love of Christ and invite them to come into your congregation. Indeed, friends, God has a vision according to our prophet, a vision of the whole earth turned into the city of God, a vision of multitudes from every people and tongue streaming into the new Jerusalem of the church because your congregation and others like it have gone forth with their money and missionaries and message and obeyed their Lord's command to make disciples of all nations. No human limits on the Church of Christ. No walls for the new Jerusalem. That is the first guideline from the scriptures as you seek to be God's new Zion of the Christian Church. Let us be very clear about it, though. The Church, the New Jerusalem, does have dimensions that set it off from its surroundings. It is not like every other community in the world, indistinguishable from Atlanta or New York or Paris. No, it has a measure and a cornerstone whose name is Jesus Christ. It is built upon his words and deeds as its only foundation. He is the rock upon whom the whole structure depends. And if you remove him from the church's foundation, the whole community will crack and crumble and come crashing down. Too often the church in our time has tried to be like the society around it. We want to be relevant, we say, or we want to be able to communicate with modern men and women. 
And so we have sometimes abandoned our sure foundation for the shifting sands of popular opinion. Following the latest fads in marriage and morals, in lifestyle and belief, in what we trust and what we want until the church has become indistinguishable from any other social or service club. And the city set on a hill that we are supposed to be has moved down into the valley of death and can no longer be found by anyone searching through the darkness. But our New Testament lesson puts it very clearly. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Therefore, it says, let, let each citizen of the city of God, of the church, take care how he or she builds on that foundation. For each person's work will become manifest, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. The church, the city of God, has dimensions and a foundation upon whom alone it must depend. Christ, the measure of all we do and say. Christ, the rock upon whom we build and expand. Christ, the cornerstone of every action and belief. And unless our leadership in the church is grounded in our personal and heartfelt trust in him, unless his commands and compassion given us through the scriptures become the guide in every decision we make, we will have forfeited our citizenship in the city of God and our Lord will tell us, I never knew you. The new Jerusalem, the church, has dimensions because God, its ruler, sets the limits of them. And not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, can enter into its life. Christ, the cornerstone and only sure foundation. Christ, the measure of all we do and say. That is the second guiding biblical word for your life as the church. We should further note from our Old Testament text, however, that the church, the beginning of the city of God, also has no earthly defenses. Certainly the name of the game in our time is power, as it has always been. It is the most powerful military nation that need not worry about its enemies. It is the powerful multinational corporation that can run its competitors out of business. It is the powerful political bloc that can put down the opposition to its programs. And you see, we in the church are always tempted to want to have such power. Through the use of lobbyists in the halls of government and propaganda in the media and massive spending campaigns, we would like to make things go our way. For heaven knows the church has lots of enemies. It always has. It struggled to life in the catacombs of Rome, and it has always been in that position. Defending itself against the Nazis, the Ku Klux Klan, the Marxists, and lately even the IRS, the Muslims, and the Moonies. Indeed, the church has always had to fight off a fifth column in its own midst of those who want to dilute its doctrine and turn its liturgy into a celebration of merely human life and make its ethic identical with that of any decent humanitarian. Yes, from Hitler to Madeleine Murray O'Hare, the church has always had its enemies, and we in the church would like to have enough power just to squelch their voices. 
Indeed, even on a personal level, we would like to have that power. What one of us would not like to have the authority and prestige that would put down everyone who disagrees with us? But you see, according to our Old Testament lesson, the New Jerusalem of the Church has only one sort of power and only one source for her own defense. For I will be to her a wall of fire roundabout, says the Lord. God is our power and defense in every circumstance. And it is he who will preserve his church. In the words of the hymn, on the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. We may smile at all our foes, for the Church of Christ has been attacked and buffeted and battered in every generation. Diocletian and Hitler and Mao Zedong all tried to wipe it out, and they could not do so. The Church has been afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down and never destroyed. And it never will be banished from the face of this globe until its knowledge of its risen Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. For God is our ruler and Christ is our rock. And the very gates of hell shall not prevail against this little colony of heaven. And so when you become discouraged in your congregation, good Christians, when you pastors and your you future pastors face those low moments in your ministry that every one of us knows, when all of you think your love and work and thought are producing no results whatsoever, when all the voices of secularism seem to drown out the herald of Zion that you are, when the enemies of Christ appear to be more numerous than his disciples and friends, and when you are tempted to give up the struggle that is the Christian way of life and just to capitulate to the white ways of the world around you, remember, God is your wall of fire round about you, and his power to preserve and prosper his church cannot be defeated. Finally, our Old Testament text says one more thing about the New Jerusalem, the church. I will be the glory within her, God promises. Glory. How tempted we are to try to seek it for ourselves. If power is the name of the game in our time, then surely glory is its nickname. And we all know how the rules of the game are played. Why don't you come join our congregation? You certainly can't find a prettier church building in town. Our choir is first rate. Our youth group is great. We have a lot of fun together. Or even, God forgive us, our church is the leading church in this community. You know, that's where you can meet the right kind of people. And thus we try to make ourselves glorious and to attract persons to our membership on that basis. Like those in that ancient story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis, we want to make a name for ourselves. And we ministers, too, are certainly not immune to that attempt. 
our eloquence in the pulpit, our list of advanced degrees, our skill in teaching, our personal manner in the sick room. Those we sometimes think are all we need to build up the new Jerusalem of the church. But the Christian church, the new Zion of God, has only one source of glory, and that is the presence of her risen Lord in her midst. Lo, I am with you always, he promised us, and consider just who he is. The Son of God, with the grace and mercy and love of the Father, made incarnate in his flesh. The crucified one who bore the nails and the scorn and the crown of thorns to forgive us every evil thing we have ever done. The risen, triumphant Lord of life whom death itself could not defeat. The King of kings whom no power of this world could conquer and whose church now circles the globe and whose cross is raised above even the most humble hamlet. There is our glory, friends. The glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And his is the only light that never can be extinguished. People will never come into the new Jerusalem of the church if all we hold up before them is our architecture or our fellowship or our worldly power. And they will never truly become disciples of Christ if we tell them it will make them more socially acceptable. No, the Zion of God, the church, will be built up only as men and women can say, as Zechariah later puts it, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. God in Jesus Christ in our midst, our glory, our gospel, our good news. Let us tell that to our neighbors and towns and cities, good Christian friends. Let us proclaim Christ throughout the earth. Let us make him the focus of all our activities as Christians. As Christians. Christ, the one for all the world. Christ, our cornerstone and foundation. Christ, our defense. Christ, our glory. With that message... Build up the church. Amen. And now here with a special announcement is our Beeson Director of Admissions, Sherry Brown. I want to invite everyone that is interested in Beeson Divinity School to our preview day. The preview day for this fall is Friday, September the 16th. It's a day-long opportunity for you to learn more information about Beeson than you might be reading on the website, but also an opportunity to attend a class, to meet with current students over lunch. We also give tours that day. We also give you opportunities to meet with faculty. Most importantly, if you have not yet completed your application interview, that's a great time to do that as well and just to have an opportunity to spend the whole day with our staff, faculty, and students. You can register online at our website, which is www.beesondivinity.com. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. 
We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.